Hello, Wanderers. I'm Olivia, and this is Wondercast. We are just two weeks away from the doors opening at Wonderfruit 2018, and things are crazy over here. We are so busy, but like an excited kind of busy, you know? And let me tell you somebody who is probably just about as busy as us, Mr. Sean Rogg. He is the creator of the Waldorf Project, which is an experiment that is taking place in the field on Sunday night. And it will look to answer the question, can empathy be engineered? Now, Sean is a really hard man to track down. It was really hard, but we finally got him on the show and he's talked about the past, the present and the future of the project, which dates back years and years and years. And he goes into a bunch of other things like emotions and actually creating new emotions as well. He didn't know it was possible. And of course, what to expect from the entire experience in the fields. And speaking of his shows, just to give you a little bit of a background, this is called Futuro X. It's kind of a one-off, but he's done four prior chapters um, that he's that have been executed around Europe. And um, these performances have smashed reviews out of the park. Um, everyone's reviewed these from like Vice, and one that has really um, that really interested me when I was doing a little bit of research was from Clot Magazine, and it reads. For those that have been lucky enough to attend this intense, immersive, and boundary-pushing performance, it's an experience that is not easy to forget. Curious? So are we. Let's hear from Sean. Hello. Hello. Hi, Sean. How are you? Hello. Hello. Can you hear me? (laughs) (laughs) There we are. Hi there. Hi there. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm sorry about this. I was literally looking for silence. I found it now in inside a Lexus. In, you're inside a Lexus. Is it hard to find silence in London? So you're in London right now, am I right? I, I, I was an interesting creative process trying to find silence. Okay, I walked explain into it. an art gallery. I, I walked through a, a very large art installation, through two cafes, uh, three toilets, a, a public phone booth. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> <laughs> and finally, I found it inside of like. Okay, so you're you're in London right now, right? Yes. Where have I caught you going from and to? Um, well, unfortunately, I couldn't be at my desk today for this. I had to do some errands, so hence the reason why um, this has been a bit of a struggle. Oh, that's okay. Don't worry about it. <laughs> so what, what's your day-to-day we, like? Where I've caught you going from one place to another, obviously. What do you do in your day-to-day? Are we, are, we, are, we, are we started yet? Yeah, yeah, we're on. Keep going. <laughs> Just keep it casual. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sorry. Um, what was the question? What do you do in your day-to-day? Like, obviously, I've just caught you going from one place to another. What, do you, what makes up your days? Well, I'm in the process of staging the world's largest experiment in empathy engineering. I haven't heard of it. <laughs> and it is involving uh, an enormous amount of work. So I'm, fle- I'm jumping between my creative team and my own uh, work. And uh, yeah, there's, there's so much to do. It's crazy. How big is your team over there exactly? Um, the London team is close to 30 and then there's an additional 15 in Barcelona. Oh, wow. Okay. That's actually quite bigger than I thought. Yeah. So you're busy in the preparations. So what, what is it that you actually do? Like if you're not preparing for this particular project, what are you doing? Um, 
well, Waldorf Project in some capacity is, has been my life for six years now. Okay. And I'm, I'm at the same time as putting together um, Thailand, I'm also looking at the next full chapter, which is chapter four, which is going to drop around next spring. So I'm, I'm also on embryonic development of that. Mm-hmm. And uh, and looking forward into the next performance beyond that, so I've got, I've got three things going on in my head right now. So you said chapter four is the next one. So we're going to experience chapter three here. Is that right? No, you're going to be experiencing a, a, a one-off special um, test experiment mm-hmm. based on on content that I created for chapter three. Okay, so, so how did so maybe what exactly is the Waldorf project? So maybe we can start with with chapter one and how that unfolded and what this how this idea came into conception. Um, okay, well, um, I'm I'm a visual artist. I've been, been a filmmaker for twenty years, um, and towards the which I don't do anymore since I started Waldorf six years ago. That's all ceased. But in the years in the three or four years leading up to the switch, um, I was getting more and more interested in the way that I, I was, I was studying the way in which my work was being exhibited, um, looking at finding it interesting to be in a room with people engaging with a film, mm-hmm. which I'd made, which is being projected on the wall, which mm-hmm. normally is a complete separation from the world of video art. You make a piece that's exhibited somewhere and that's the end of it. The only time you'd engage with, with an audience would be maybe at the opening party, mm-hmm. but that's simply a byproduct of the exhibition. But I was really, because my films create emotional responses, watching these emotional responses happen mm-hmm. really interested me. So then I thought, hmm, if I, if I, remove the film aspect of it and just directly engage with the people in this room. Maybe I could explore that as an art form. And that that's when I literally got the idea to do it in, in the opening party of my last major show. And then from then on, I spent a couple of years developing it and it kind of fed into chapter one. Okay. Can you explain how chapter one actually unfolded? Cause I guess they've all been very different. In fact, I think I read that maybe the first chapter um, started with fine dining. Am I right about that? Yes. So as a sort of um, personal journey that I was going on, separate to my professional one, mm-hmm. I became really interested in, I've always really been interested in gastronomy. But yeah. um, in 2007, I was living in Barcelona um, right at the, during the last season of El Bulli, which is um, at, it's closed now, but it was the the restaurant sort of gave birth to molecular gastronomy and a friend of mine had just been and we were sitting on the beach one day and he was telling me about this experience he'd had this this four-hour tasting menu thing I mean this was nobody'd heard of these of this kind of gastronomy back then and it really blew my mind Uh just thinking about that journey and the amount of work they were going to and and their their ethos towards presenting um it wasn't really like going to a restaurant it was like going to the theater um and so I fantasized about what the experience would be like. And I just kept that in the back of my mind. And, and actually the best and worst thing that could have happened was that I never got to go. I tried to go that right then and there. I tried to get a, a seat on. It was like there was one week left before he closed the restaurant. Mm-hmm. Good. And obviously I couldn't get a seat. And so then I just kind of buried it and carried on with what I was doing. And then four years later in 2011, I went to Madrid um, 
and I went to Casina de Madrid, which was a restaurant which was being run by Paco and Sarah, who was Fran Andrea's number two at the time. And he'd opened up his own restaurant in, in, in Madrid. And it was similar thing, 20 course, tasting menu, molecular, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and I went um, at great expense. And um, it was the most disappointing experience. Why? Um, n- not so much because of the, of, the, of the gastronomy itself, which was a hit and miss uh-huh. um but it's because i'd spent four years imagining what what this could be mm-hmm. and and then when it was finally presented to me it was just so much less than what my imagination had come up with and so i thought hmm, I, the only way that this is going to become real for me now is if i do it myself and so merging all of the, the instincts that i had and where i wanted to go i decided to to, to explore performance um engage directly with an audience and have gastronomy at the center of that experience because that's that was where this kind of came together so looking at that i i the the foundation for chapter one was essentially a multi-sensory dining experience okay i tried to push the boundaries as far as you could go well beyond anything that had been done in a restaurant environment it was still anchored around gastronomy Okay. Okay. And how did that evolve into chapter two? What were the differences? Um, so during, uh, and this has been the case from chapter to chapter, is that I, and this is why I love this project so much, and I keep on reinventing it <clears throat> from chapter to chapter, is because um, I come up with an idea, and then when I present it with a live audience, they don't do what you want them to do. And, and, and as I'm directly engaging them, new ideas come, which then feed into the new development. Yeah. Um, and so what was going on with chapter one was um, there was still a, a, a somewhat linear structure to their journey. They sat at tables opposite each other. I tried my best to get them to not feel like they were at a restaurant, but when you're sitting at a table across somebody and somebody puts a plate of food in front of you, no matter how avant-garde it may be and no matter how you're expected to eat it, you're still your mind is still in the zone of a restaurant and I was in fact at that point I was voted like top 10 experimental restaurant in the world by USA Today beating Noma at the time and and I and then the next day I said I don't want to be a restaurant at all (laughs) start the slate clean and I I looked at changing the way so I I essentially took all anything that could could connect you to a restaurant and I removed it so no tables and chairs you moved around you ate there was no more utensils there was food but it was extremely uh futuristic it was in the shape of these cubes um we we played with um audience size and and it was it was completely different it was a it was it was much more of a theatrical experience than a dining one okay um, it was based around color and okay. we explored monochromatic environments. We explored the emotions of color and the taste and smells of color and, and what could color feel like. And, and then, um, something quite, uh, incredible happened, which was that, um, the, the, I was also looking at nonlinear storytelling and making sure that there was no, that, that depending on studying the kind of, um, going to every immersive theater you could imagine, like Punch Drunk and Secret Cinema and Bum Bum Train and Dream Think Speak and you name it, everything. During James Terrell installations to, you know, mm-hmm. to, to 
anything, anything yeah. that was immersive, uh, I, I went to and was rapidly seeing the flaws in, in the art form and just trying to find new ways of exploring it and um, still continuing on the, the origins of the, of the journey, which is to have no dialogue. In my world, I didn't want there to be dialogue. And, so has there ever been um, any dialogue since day one? Sorry if I'm... No. No, okay. No dialogue. Since okay. day one, no. But with this, so in the restaurant environment, backtracking a little bit, um, and actually, no, this is relevant for, for chapter two as well, getting somebody to put something in their mouth that, and, and eat it, but they don't know what it is. Either because work? they... If you think about everything that you put in your mouth, you, you, you know what it is. You've either bought it, cooked it, been told what it is, read what it is, hunted it, you know, fished it, whatever it may be. You, you, you are in control of, of knowing what that is. If somebody gives you an object that you can't recognize with your eyes and has no smell and says, eat this, or doesn't even say eat it, just puts it in your mouth. You know, there's a fear and an anxiety there. Yeah. And, um, that overcoming that fear it was, was the challenge that led me to thinking about the way the guests are physically manipulated and physically interacted with, which mm -hmm. sort of grew the choreography element of it. And in chapter two, we explored all different ways of being fed, some gentle, some quite aggressive. Um, and that's what I was learning about the physical manipulation tool that I was now starting to sharpen, which all led into chapter three, where I looked, I, is exploring the future and I thought about the future of consumption and gastronomy and it turned into energy. Could you consume energy? That was mm -hmm. the brief that I gave myself. Okay. Uh, and um, so, and this is, we're almost in, in, in wonder fruit at this point because the ending of chapter three was this um, 26 minute um, journey a very tender, beautiful journey in which the guests, I believe, uh, we, we achieved our brief that they consumed energy and connected with each other. But I didn't know about the connecting bit yet. This was just my brief was, can they consume energy? So I spent two years developing the set, sound, everything, all the costumes, the, the technology, the concepts were all developed in my head. Um, we then presented the show with a two-and-a-half-hour dystopic hell ride that precedes the 26-minute euphoria. Okay. Oh, so they're, qu they're quite long, actually. Oh, yeah, yeah, three to okay. four hours. Oh, wow, okay. Um, and uh, the audience not only consumed energy, but as a byproduct of this deep um, connecting with each other, there was this... Um, empathy thing that was happening. I was starting to notice that there was an empathic bond that was being created between the audience. And um, I, was, I did the show for five weeks. So it wasn't even a random occurrence. It was night after night, the same things were happening. And I, I read that you had 27 consecutive sold out performances. Was that of this particular show? That's chapter three. That's yes. That's okay. How many shows were there in total? If we're giving some kind of statistic, let's, let's add some greatness to that. How many was there in total? Well, the, the, the chapter one and two only ran for a week. Chapter three was the first time that I bumped it up to five weeks, okay. six weeks of the rehearsal. How many shows each and week? The, uh, six shows a night. Okay. And it wasn't long. It took, it took about a week before the, the energy built up and, and then we had you know, cues around the block to get to Okay. Um, and thankfully that seems to be the, where I'm at now because 
the, the community is growing exponentially. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, how do we get to Wonderfruit from here? <laughs> so, well, okay. So, moving forward from there, if my brief in chapter three was, could I consume? Could could I could could one consume energy? Right. Having then felt that I had stumbled across uh, a bit like the way penicillin is discovered, that em- empathy could be engineered, and it is becoming rapidly part of our lexicon. It's a zeitgeist word now everywhere. It, it's not only something that is is potentially necessary for us to survive. It's something that is being genetically bred out of us. It's it's something which is being used in everything from like you know uh, from from tender science to building the next shopping mall mm-hmm. it's always something which is needed and very few people know how to create it mm-hmm. and i've got algorithms for now um and that's why i thought okay i i the the methods by which i create my performances are algorithmic and then um Chapter four next year, I did a test performance in Stockholm earlier this year. Uh, the brief was, now, can I engineer empathy? And so the structure for chapter four, which is way, way, way more intense than what we did with chapter three, will, I hope, create a, a, a deep and meaningful empathic bond. Much Not the fleeting six or seven minutes that happened at the, at the end of chapter three, but 24 hours or longer. And the test that we did in Stockholm, without question, proved that that was possible. So armed with that new knowledge and, and creative concepts, which I've already developed in London, I, I put all that together and thought, could I bring this to a larger audience? And looking forward it, with my own project down the line, chapter six, and that sounds a bit crazy, but I'm already thinking three, four years ahead <laughs> from now. And um, chapter five is going to be quite an introspective journey, but chapter six, will, I'm, I'm hoping to explore a much, much larger audience. And so I much was larger than much larger than a festival wide audience. Then the not, no, 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 than my audience, which is okay. forty people. Okay, sorry. So I was thinking about where could I could I test this out? Could I explore? any Waldorf project idea on a large audience. That was the, my initial way that I came into to doing what we're doing together. And then when, uh, and then that, and then I thought, okay, well, what would I do? I know that I want to explore large audience sizes, but I'm working with content, which was developed for small audiences. Um, and then I thought knowing now that I'm slightly more, I'm two years further along uh, development wise in an empathy engineering capacity, thanks to the test I did in Stockholm, could I reverse engineer those back into the, into the ideas that I did in London and put all that together to create something for, on a large scale? And, once, um, and then through a, a series of connections, I got to Pete, and he was really into uh, exploring that idea with me. It was still pitched somewhat hypothetically, Mm-hmm. But then when I, when I realized the, the logistics involved, um, what actually sealed it was to take all of my ideas now and to make them work with thousands of people, um, we've had to use artificial intelligence. So we've actually got three choreographers now, Aoi, Esteban, and a computer. Can you explain what the role is of AI and what you're doing, or is that giving too much away? Um, we have got... Okay, so I wanted to be able to, um, I wanted 
I wanted to communicate. How do we do <laughs> Still trying to add some yeah, mystery no. into this, yeah? Yeah, yeah. I'm trying <laughs> not to give too much away. Well, okay. So that the 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 chapter three. I can talk about chapter three now because it's okay. happened. And it's, okay. But um, the, the 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 two and a half hour um, traumatic section to the show was was being used as some uh, as a cleanse if you like to prepare you for the tender ending now the tender ending is is was something that i felt i could bring to wonder fruit but the the dystopia bit the cleansing session had, had to be replaced somehow mm-hmm. and so a new way of storytelling had to be developed and that required and furthermore i wanted to part of the of the way that we're going to get people to prepare themselves for the experience and for to work is that they're going to be aware of it and enticed by it and imagine what it might be. And if that's the case, then it needs to be communicated properly. And for that to happen, I wanted to make sure that we were all going to be communicating something which was going to happen. Mm-hmm. I didn't want this to be a test or a rehearsal. It, it had to be a definitive, we are going to do this. And so, and that's just me setting the bar really high. But that meant that I said to my team, okay, we can't, we can't fuck this up. Yeah. <laughs> this, has got, this has got to work. And so we've just, we prevised the whole thing in, 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 in using computer simulations. And I have, I have already been to Wonderfruit with thousands of people in a virtual reality world and explored the outcome. And now we're using war game techniques to throw in all the parameters that could happen left and right, working out the maths involved, the timings involved, and just all getting the creative team there in the right place and the when we need to position the audience, which is going to happen through some mathematics, which will be made, which the audience will understand clearer when they're actually standing in the festival. So all of this kind of sounds a little bit intimidating as well. You know, you're, I think you're asking for the participation of um, everybody in the fields. What is the level of participation actually going to be for the average person that's at Wonderfruit? Well, they don't really have to do much. They're so it's not more just like they're watching. Do, well, they're not. No, I mean, um, I, I, just, <laughs> I so it's, it's immersive <laughs> and it involves everybody, but they don't really have to do anything. <laughs> well, no, I mean, they don't. What? So they don't, there's not a lot of reading involved and all that kind of stuff because yeah. it is still nonverbal. But um, obviously, um, I have to cater for for the people that are trying to least. And if I can get them to, okay. to have had a rewarding experience, then then the people that have tried the most by default will get it. So the so it's I've had to try and make this as user friendly as possible. Again, this is all brand new, not just for me but for anybody. Yeah. Because no, if you think about the way festivals work, that the the, the organisms of the audience uh, intermingles with the environment simply as a way to get from A to B. You, you provide this incredible uh, ecosystem of, of activities. And mm-hmm. then me as a guest, I would decide where do I want to go to next? Mm-hmm. Here, there, over there. I've had enough. I'll think about this. I'll talk about that. I'm always free to decide my own journey. And, and in this case, we're turning that on its head. We're going to be shutting down everything so that the, the, the very place where you, where, we, you would, where would be normally your path becomes the environment itself. Okay. And there is nowhere to go because everywhere you go is in the experience. Okay. Okay. So once that's the bit that I need people to sort of get their head around is that they're, it's a, it's a complete takeover of the whole environment. And then once they're 
once they get that, hopefully through the storytelling that we're going to do during the days leading up to it. Um, so every day the story will grow. So at whatever point you step foot into the, into the festival, you're going to be swept up into the story and it'll all drop on Sunday. Through what, a, in a really <laughs> through, through what, through what senses are, is a story going to begin? As soon as someone, like let's say they walk in on Thursday, how are they going to feel that they're in the Waldorf project or they're experiencing it? Well, I'm going to be using certain ways of directly communicating with with the audience. Okay. But 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 the but the but part of my research is going to be can I then get that communication to go beyond the way I directly communicate with you? Yeah. So can that communication grow virally and organically within a community like a ripple effect? Mm-hmm. Um, and I believe it can. And we're gonna, and it's not just one ripple. We're going to continuously ripple it through. So we're going to build the energy, build the energy. So the, as, as new members join the community, people that show up on Saturday will be sort of swept into the education by people that have been there on Friday because they already know the story. And so as long as I can engage the community as a whole, this, this, it'll sort of start to crystallize. And by Sunday night, hopefully, everyone will be present and ready and, mm-hmm. and, and accepting of what is going to happen. You know, it's really interesting. You're really good at explaining what you're doing without actually telling what you're going to do. <laughs> <laughs> like you're, you're kind of laying the whole groundwork out for what's going to happen, but I still have no idea what to expect it. And it's, you're very good at that. <laughs> well, so, so what else can I, people expect from the actual Sunday night? Like what, what senses will the would, actual Do you want, do you want me to, uh, I have, Um, and we're going to, we're going to be, um, okay. So don't, you mustn't, well, it's not the mustn't. I I would prefer (laughs) to, to not look at it through as, um, a a multi-sensory experience. Okay. Cause I think a lot, a lot of your reviews of other shows have said it's something for all the senses, right? So this is completely different. No, no, it is multi-sensory, but I mean, you're, you're having a multi-sensory right experience right this second. You're, you're listening to me. You're sitting on something which you're feeling with your, with your hands, you're smelling, you're, you know, it's, I'm trying to move beyond that. I think that's sort of where current multi-sensory experiences are at. And I'm just looking beyond that. That's why I'm looking at a a more holistic way of having an experience. So of course we are totally re-engineering the whole sound system there is going to be a soundscape presented which is designed to create uh, a biological reaction being played live by not waving by the way. Not, not waving his music since chapter one but this is the first time in any performance that he's done it live which is quite a treat but Actually, he's doing it in order that he can gauge so there's a purpose to it it's not just simply playing the music live he'll be building on the uh on the day I can't talk about. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So actually, do you want to explain a little bit about who Not Waving is? I think, I don't think that people are really familiar with him. So maybe it's a good time to. It's a, it's a, 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 a an Italian um, musician called Alessio Natalizia. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was, he's been doing stuff for a long time. He was in Banjo Freakout. He was in Walls. Um, Walls as a band uh, actually with the composers of, chapter one they were they were together at that point they then split and alessio formed not waving where he's been ever since and so uh since then he's been composing as uh, under the moniker of not waving the chapter one was written under the moniker of walls um he's uh in his own right uh, he's a, a world-class technical musician 
He's a world class. Sorry, you're, he's a world class techno artist. All right, okay. Traveling the world and smashing the shit out of nightclubs all over the place. <laughs> but he's also got a uh, a tender side to him, and um, the soundscapes that he writes for Waldorf, um, you would never, you would never think for a second they were written by the person who is in the nightclubs doing the, the techno stuff. Mm -hmm. So um, a lot of people might be Googling him and going, what's this? You know, this boiler room set where he's doing this hard techno. It's, it's, it's another side to him. Um, he's got this incredible ability to interpret uh, the ideas that I'm trying to convey, the emotional states I'm trying to convey through music um, and, 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 and get people to where I want them to be. Quite a talented man. Okay. Is there anything else that you want to um, give away about the performance that you have not yet given away? Well, um, <laughs> I think that I look to put it this way: I could, I could give, I could say stuff that mm -hmm. would make people probably want to get on an airplane and want to be there, but by doing so, would would really ruin the experience because it's really best that you just don't know what is going to happen and let, and go with it. The only thing I would say is you're going to be in safe hands. It's, it's nothing uh, dangerous. Uh, your safety is, is being considered at length. And, um, and if you give yourself the experience, um, something beautiful happens, something that has never happened before. And okay. um, I think it's a once in a lifetime experience. Okay. And, and what's the experience you want people to walk away from this feeling like? Well, there, obviously there are two elements to this. There's my, my, my idea as, a, as an artist mm -hmm. what I'm trying to explore is this empathy engineering thing. Mm -hmm. So um, to create it at this level, uh, for the, the first time I do this, I mean, I'm, I'm going to be developing this further in years to come, but it, for this first crack, if I can get even 30 seconds of, of, of empathy between this audience, I think that will be a, an enormous achievement. Um, but who knows, maybe it'll roll on for, for a few minutes. Um, but as far as the audience is concerned, it's not so much that they're having empathy engineered, it's that they're participating in something which is a byproduct of the experience, mm -hmm. connects you but they should be transported in their minds to somewhere that they've never been before, which is pretty much what happens in every one of my performances. It's just mm -hmm. not really comparable to anything, which is good. Go with it. Yeah. Well, I guess to ask you your own question, after your first experiment, do you actually think that empathy can be engineered? Yeah, no, I proved it. It absolutely can. And, and uh, I'm going to prove it uh, in, in, in the next... Within one year from now, I, I believe I will have proved it, that it can be done en masse with you. Okay. Fleeting, fleeting though it may be. And, and, and uh, with Chapter 4 next year, uh, with smaller audiences, on a, on a life-changing level, I believe. Okay. Okay, because well, I don't think empathy can be engineered. I don't think it can be taught. I think that it's organic and it comes from within. So I'm very curious to see how this is going to be, this is how, how this is going to unfold because I would be a non-believer, I guess you could say. Well, I, mm -hmm. I, 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 yeah. I mean, if you could see, if you could have been there um, in Stockholm and you mm -hmm. could have seen the way that the room reacted, I mean, you had total strangers becoming one, one truly connected organism. Um, I mean, bursting into tears, hugging each other, unable to move, and, with, and not even speaking, 
just like completely, completely connected. And, and as a result, of, this is at the end of the performance, having gone through the experience. And there are other things that, that I'm doing on a, on a scientific research level that I'm trying to actually prove all of this scientifically. Mm-hmm. It's not really, I'm not, I'm not, it's not my journey. So I'm not a scientist, but I think at this stage now, um, I'm actually bringing in uh, research to, to, to back this up properly. But um, you'll be at the performance, right? Yeah, of course I will. Okay, you tell me then. Yeah, <laughs> no, I. <laughs> yeah, no, I actually, I actually just felt myself getting emotional hearing you talk about the ending of the show in Stockholm and saying everybody was hugging and crying, and I said, "Wow, it sounds really powerful." So I'm very, I'm curious. You know, something yeah. else, something else I read about your previous performances was that they were staged under the concept of the Japanese emotion. Ame, am I pronouncing that correctly? Ame, ame. Ame, ame. Ame. And I I was reading something else recently about this, and it's really interesting how Japanese have these terms for emotions that don't translate at all into the English language, right? Um, So what exactly exactly is this one, and how does it pertain to... It's actually, it's a good thing you mentioned that because um, I think I'm going to start to, to, to tell your, your audience about mm. that emotion. Time might have been come for that too. MA is, is, is um, there are, there are a non, number of emotional states that other cultures have that we simply don't have. Yeah. And, mm. and in fact, I'm, I'm now in the process of creating my own. I, I, you know, there are Waldorf emotional states now that are, that are unique. Oh, really? <laughs> okay. <laughs> but um, AMA is simply, uh, it boils down as um, to surrender yourself up temporarily in, 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 within the feeling of being of trust. So it's sort of, it's, it's like embracing the unknown for the benefit that something good will come from it. And I find that to be a fantastic, I, that, that, that emotional state is how yeah. I would want everyone to feel right before they step through the front door of my space. And it's the emotional state that I'm going to be using the storytelling I was talking about to get people ready for Sunday night. So when we start, they will have, hopefully they will be in that state. They'll be ready. Okay. And then as we, as we proceed, uh, they will then be in a position to um, be receptive to it. Mm-hmm. And hopefully that's an emotion that they can take away and take home and apply to their own lives as well, right? Well, I, 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 <laughs> I, I, I would love that. Um, I, I, I certainly feel that that's what happens when I do my normal performances. This is the first time I've tried it with such a large audience. I would love to see that that's going to happen. Um, I'm, that's what I'm trying to make happen, but I'm not going to be arrogant enough to say that it will. Let, let's see. Let's see. I mean, um, I, certainly, um, it, it, it will, it will, it will connect, it will connect the group in a way that is more than they've already connected because obviously your wonderful is it's a great place yeah. to be. And, and this is Sunday night. It's at the end of the festival. So they've already gone through that journey together, but they've done it in isolation. Now they're going to do it as one big organism. Okay. And so I don't know. That bit is all I know. And I'm, I'm, I'm happy I don't know because now I want to see what happens. So do I. <laughs> so what happens next? Once you try, once you try something like this with, with a festival-wide audience, I don't want to put a number to that because we don't know that right now, but 
what do you, where do you go from that next? Yeah. I know that you have chapter five staged out, but what, if, you know, do you, do you try this with a larger number of people to prove the theory even more? Do you try it with a whole city or a whole country? Can a whole country? Well, I did. Absolutely. I think, you know, if you want to get um, philosophical about it, um, it could be, uh, I'm not saying me personally, but, but, the, but without empathy, we're, we're screwed. It's, it's the, it's a bridge we're going off right now is because we're just thinking. Well, is that why the world is screwed right now? <laughs> no, I'm not saying it's, no, but, but, wow. but I think it's a, it's a fabulous tool for, for making us maybe think twice about some decisions we're making. But I get, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not on that. I'm not on that kind of, I, 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 I have fantasies of where I'd like to go with this. But, mm-hmm. um, and I know that it's taken six months of logistics to, to just do this one half hour performance. It's literally taken a team of almost 50 my end mm-hmm. in, in prep. And then uh, it's going to be 400 when we get to you um, to just to do this. So mm-hmm. it's, it, the numbers involved are just astronomical. Um, mm-hmm. And that's with, that's with me work, walking into a, a fully constructed um, festival environment to set something like that up on my own is, is a few years away, but it is it's something I'm hoping to get to. Right. Okay. Is there anything else you want to share about the upcoming performance or Thailand or wonder fruit? Um, well, <laughs> well, I'm very curious again, I've done a lot of reading on these performances. Actually, I read something that had likened the whole experience to like a David Cronenberg or Gaspar Noé movie, which is, you know, enter the void vibes and irreversible. What is that? What does that mean? That's, those are pretty extreme and, and very flattering compliments. Yeah, they are. They're, 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 have you read this? <laughs> no, no. I'm just delighted to hear some of that. Okay, so it's, I mean, it, was, um, it was from, I think this one was from Clot Magazine. And they, yeah, they likened it to um, stepping out of a David Cronenberg movie or Gaspar Noé, which is very like trippy and surreal. And have you seen Enter the Void? I have, yes. Yeah. I, so get, that's, I get the connection. You do. So what is that connection? I guess if anyone's listening and you haven't seen it, it's a fantastic movie. Um, well, I mean, that, okay. So that's sort of, if I can, if I can try to understand why they might have made that comparison, it's the, um, a kind of over the top psychedelic extreme state that you're put into moves beyond cinema. You, you almost, it's almost like inducing a hallucinogenic experience because you're forced to watch this camera angle, which is unbearable, but at the same time, beautiful for two hours. And it just, it, it forces you to go to, a, to another place. Okay. Um, that's, that's certainly what I do. Except that I, I but where I go further is, is that I, I once I get you there, I then do something with you when you're there. I don't just, yeah. the point is not simply to take you from A to B, it's to do something with you once we get you there. Hence the reason why we get these extreme reactions I described to you in, like in Stockholm. And they happen in London too. We had people crying every night, hugging each other every night. Not as a group, though. It was too, we weren't quite there yet. We, More individual? Nice, but yeah. yeah. But, but in Stockholm, it was, it was room-wide and... and well, we'll see what happens. And uh, I think, I mean, I, I just don't know, but I'd love to think that some of the audience will react, will, will connect in a physically, physical way like that in Thailand. But we'll just have to wait and see. 
We will I'm have certainly to trying everything I can to, to make that happen. <laughs> yeah, good. Well, we're, we're, we're immensely looking forward to it. And I guess our audience is getting little trickles of what Waldorf Project is all about, and curiosity is piqued. Good. Yeah. Keep right. it. We've got, a, we've, got, we've got a way more to go. We've got a lot more of this. It's going to be, we're going to be sort of expanding the way what we tell you and how we tell you little by little all the way up till till Sunday night. It's, till the just, performance night. it's just 20 days away. No, it's, it's you'll, you'll see. I, I know. Kind of oh yeah. We all know it's 20 days away. We're working towards that. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, thanks for your time, Sean. And we're looking forward to seeing you in the fields. Pleasure. Okay, have a great afternoon. Bye. And that, ladies and gentlemen, was the hugely interesting and passionate Sean Rogg, creator of The Waldorf Project, happening at Wonderfruit on Sunday nights. Tickets to Wonderfruit are still available at www.wonderfruit.co. And uh, until then, see you in the fields. Live, love, wonder. <laughs>